Hey, everyone. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. I don't, I don't know everybody, but I, whoever you are, kind of like whatever your thing is and however you got here today, I know this, you're welcome here. And uh, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I think it's going to be really time well spent. So thanks for coming. Hey, before we jump into the message today, uh, I want to share some good news, some exciting news, I think. And it has to do with the fact that our church at Mountain is kind of blowing up right now, kind of uh, bursting at the seams, which is uh, what they call one of those good problems uh, to have, right? Uh, uh, our, our church is about twice the size we were a year ago at this time, and it's just, it's just moving along great. So we're, we're excited about that. So... One of the things we know around here is that, uh, you know, we want to have the heart of God toward that. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are places that are like, oh, people are taking my seat or whatever. But we got, we, got the, we got the heart of God, which is like, man, if he's being faithful to send people our way, we want to do whatever it takes to make this mission unstoppable. Does that word sound familiar? And uh, we just want to make room for everyone. We, uh, we like to say around here, this is for everyone, and we mean it. So, yeah, so whatever it takes. So here's the big news. We're going to be, in a couple of weeks, adding a, uh, some new worship services to the sort of weekly uh, schedule. Uh, here's a slide that kind of will help you kind of take note of it. And there's actually a QR code there, since some of you will just sleep through this whole announcement. And then tomorrow you'll say, well, what did he say? So, uh, so you can, uh, there's a QR code there. But here's the, here's the thing. You'll know every campus is, is, is experiencing kind of the same thing and growth. And um, Edgewood Campus is experiencing the same good growth. But we've got some real urgency at some of our other campuses. So, so Abingdon and Mountain Road are going to be adding an extra service Sunday morning at 8 a.m. All right? So some of the early risers are like, it's about time. The world gets up. And the rest of you are like, who cares? But okay. So if you're 8 a.m., I'll see you there. And uh, Aberdeen is going to be adding a Saturday night service as well. So if you're not that morning person at all or Sunday morning doesn't work, you have Thursday night here at Mountain Road. You've got Monday night at Ab being done, and now you'll have Saturday night at um, Aberdeen as well. So we're starting three new services. Total is, I think, like 13 plus the four online. So there's always a chance to kind of catch what's going on, keep up. So, so it's exciting, you know, in a way. It's just a symbol. These are just practical, logistical things responses we've got to make to the fact that God's here. And it's more than numbers. It's like there's these amazing, just the presence of God and the stories of life change, what's happening in people's lives. It's really, it's a cool thing and a special thing to be a part of. And we're really blessed to be in the center of it. And we just want to kind of humbly just say, okay, God, what do we got to do to, to make it happen? So it's what we've been doing for a couple hundred years. So let's go. It's our turn. So, hey, um, with that, um, I'd like for you to think about something important for a minute. If God is sending people our way and we're going to respond in this way and it's absolutely the right thing to start these services, then here's what else I know is true. That he is simultaneously nudging some people who he is equipping and preparing to step up and serve in ways that will help make all those services happen. Does that make sense? So we've, we've, and here's what we're really praying is that even today, a squad of mountain people will say, I want to be a difference maker. I know this isn't just about me. And I want to help serve to help make all these services happen. So maybe that's you. Maybe there's been a way that you've sensed, like, I want to make a little bigger difference in my life. I'm telling you, now's a perfect opportunity because if you're ready to say, I'm in it for good, well, there's a huge opportunity right in front of us. So take, uh, if you'll go ahead and text, grab your phone, if you will, um, folks, go ahead, I'll wait. And uh, you're going to text that number or that word serve, S-E-R-V-E, to 94062. 
okay? And what all that'll do is it'll bring up a nice little screen that you can look through. It'll help kind of lay out some options for you. Some of you uh, Luddites are familiar with this. It's a piece of paper also on your seat. It has the same information. So, but it's just a way to kind of say what are the opportunities, right, and the needs really before us. And so you can see some of you, we're going to need some folk who say, you know what, I'm going to spend some time with kids. And you're going you're gonna to go, you know, bring your happy heart to, to some kids. Or maybe lights, cameras, vocals, instrumentalists, tech, sound, whatever. And some of you are like, I don't like kids. I don't like tech. It's like, okay. Um, you can help us tear down chairs. And uh, we got a lot of digital needs and uh, that kind of thing. In addition, you'll notice a whole other column. In addition to just getting these new services, volunteers staffed. Um, there's a bunch of other ways that you, maybe you feel like, well, I think I should be serving with kids or students or young adults or small groups or sports or the epicenter or whatever. So it's a chance to raise your hand and say, I have been uh, feeling some kind of nudge, like I, I need to do more. And, uh, you know, every disciple of Jesus, everyone who wants to say, I want to follow Jesus, I'm going to go in on this Christian thing, they're serving. You can't follow Jesus and not serve. It doesn't, those, that's like a contradiction in terms. So the question is where and how needs to fit you in your life. A lot of people... Um, you know, who serve in these kind of roles, serve about once every three weeks. Sometimes they serve more or less, depending on what they, they want to do. And uh, one way or the other, uh, do that little thing with your phone or take this card, drop it in a bucket, an orange bucket on the way out, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay, everybody with me now? Still with me? Okay, sit up and breathe, take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, here we go. We got a lot to do and a little bit of time to do it. Okay, we got to go fast. We got to hurry. We got to go fast. Are you with me? We got, we got to hurry up because I got like 27 things I was going to say. And I decided, nope, I got time for 34. You think we have time for 34? I thought so. Yes, we go. Here we go. We're going to move really fast. And while I'm going, I want you to be able to li- li- pay attention. What are you doing? Listen to me. Sit up. There's a test. By the way, I'm going to ask you afterwards. Every one of you, I'm going to stop you at the door. I'm going to ask you three trick questions about what I said just now. And if you fail the test, bad stuff's going to happen. So listen up. Okay, really, really listen up because we have a lot to do. We got to get through it. So also, I would like you just to pay attention, okay? Don't let your mind drift. Like some of you are thinking right now, like the bananas at home, they're brown. You probably should stop off and get some because you don't have any lunch meat. You got to pick up some lunch meat. So go to the store, but don't go to that store because it takes too long because the lines and make you go through and check it out yourself. What are they paying those people for? Why do I got to check it out for myself? But don't think about that. And then also, you have this thing coming up where it's like the boss's wife is coming over. You got that brown ring in the toilet bowl. Like, what's it there for? How did it get there? Get it out of there. And also, if you're thinking like taking all the clutter of your life and putting it in the closet and closing the door, don't do that because she's nosy. I wouldn't put it past you to open the door and they'll all fall out. Where would you be? So don't do that. But don't think about that right now because we've got more important stuff to do. And also don't forget, Johnny has to get picked up Wednesday at 5, no, 3.30. 3.30 because the kid with the red hair, his mom can't come. They have the orthodontist appointment. They can't come. So you've got to get him over to karate by 4 yourself. And that may be your only time while he's in karate to check the insurance because they need the form filled out by tomorrow. And don't forget, he got notified about this science project like three months ago, but he told you yesterday that you got to go collect a bunch of bugs and you got to get a corkboard and some pins and put the bugs. Where are you supposed to find bugs these days? I don't know, but don't think about that now because we got stuff we got to do. And then as soon as we're done with thinking, not thinking about that, just would you please just maybe post like six things that show how awesome and relaxed your life is right now on social media after you scroll like six hours of social media, okay? All right, you guys with me? We got to go. We got to go. You ready to go? Come on. We got to go. Man, I wish all that was just hypothetical. <laughs> I wish it was just a joke. <laughs> but that's how, that's how my mind, that's how my, that's how my life looks a lot of times. Anybody with me? Sometimes? You ever felt like this guy? This guy like right here? Like the, your whole life just looks like this? It's like, sir, are you sure you want to take all that load? No, I got it. Just give me some twine. I'm good. My schedule's got lots of room. Bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. Or maybe more like this guy. 
Yeah, like what's your week look like? Like that. <laughs> or maybe you've already kind of broken down and burnt out a little bit. You look like this guy here, you know, you've, you've experienced a little, the idols that we insist on carrying have a way of breaking our back, don't they? So we're in a series that we call Weeds in My because we all show everybody all the roses we like to show, but we all know we all have weeds, and some of the weeds that we have are just related to, to our mental health and how we're living our lives in a crazy way. And so we're trying to just be honest and, and, and say, okay, what, what gives here? What, 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 what are we supposed to do about all this? And one acknowledgement we're making as we get honest about mental health is that Jesus actually really cares about all this stuff, cares about the way you live, there is a, there's a statement Jesus makes. He says, there's a wide road. It's a wide path, and lots of people are on it, but it kind of leads to destruction. There's a narrower path, he says, where you don't conform and you go a different way, and it leads to what he calls life. And yet a lot of the life that a lot of us are living is like the wide road, even though we say we're following Jesus on a narrow road. So when we did the survey amongst our own selves, right, said, hey, how y'all doing? 70% of us said stressed out right now, 70% of us. The other 30 were just like too nervous to check it or something. <laughs> Over the last three years, stress and burnout in this country have just like escalated rapidly. Barna did a study on pastors and found that in the last year, 13% more said that they were dealing with lots and lots of stress and were thinking of quitting. 13%. Now it's up to 37% who said, yeah. And I think it's not just pastors. I think it's all of us. And, you know, this is personal for me. This is one of those tough areas for me in a way because I, I, don't, I like to pretend I'm God. I mean, that's, that's what we do, right? We, like, I don't have limits that God gave me. I can get more in. Oh, excuse me, I got to get a call. Just kidding. I can get more in, you know, the day, the week. I don't have a limit. That's, what, that's, that's kind of a defying of yourself, isn't it? Because I'm an achiever. I like to do more and like to get more done. I'm, I'm energized by all that. But sometimes there's just this craziness to it. So I understand some of this. It's like those two natives from Alaska. They were sitting in their kayak. And uh, one of them got chilly, so they lit a fire, but then it burnt a hole in the bottom of the kayak and it sank, which just goes to show you, wait for it, you can't have your kayak and heat it too. <laughs> so here's the thing. My whole life is about trying to have my kayak and heat it too. It's like a refusal to acknowledge limits and we get overloaded and then we wonder, you know, why we don't have the proper stuff to offer to the world, to ourselves. And it's actually a, a matter of... Uh, you know, someone talking to you about this today who knows what it's like to feel depleted, where your cortisol and your serotonin and your adrenaline literally just physically are just like drained out of your body. And maybe some of you understand what it's like as well to be overscheduled at work and underscheduled at home and unscheduled with God. Maybe some of you know what it's like when your output exceeds your input, your upkeep becomes your downfall, right? When your output exceeds your input, your upkeep becomes your downfall, and maybe some of you know what that's like. Maybe you've experienced a little of that yourself. Because stress is, 
is everywhere around us. And what we're talking about today is stress and burnout. Stress and burnout. And stress is something we experience from the first seconds of our life. I mean, think about it. You're just chilling, relaxed, you're having a good time, and then all of a sudden, you get pushed through this birth canal. It's like designed way too small. And stress, pressure all around you. Someone grabs you by the ankles, holds you upside down, smacks your butt, picks a turkey baster and shoves it up your nose, socks the snot out of you, and then cut the cord. Ouch! And then it's like lights in your face and people, and you got gas. I mean, that's just the first five minutes of your life. And, the, and it's preparation for all the stress that keeps coming and building every single day. And normal stress is good. It's what makes us who we are. It's, it's, it's a good thing, actually. But when you get overloaded and you don't deal with it well, well, then it starts having such a negative response. So what are the stressors in your life? Can you be honest about that? Like, what are the stressors? I mean, some of them are normal. They're not all bad things, but when it's just the amount of them or the size of them and the timing of them that make a difference. I mean, maybe some of you... Maybe for you, it's like you feel out of control with something. You don't have control over something, and yet you've got to live with that reality. Or maybe it's multiple things that are kind of happening all at once, and that multitasking is what gets a lot of us stressed out. Or maybe for you, it's like there's an uncertain issue about your future. It's like it's big, but you don't know, and that's stressful for you. Or maybe you have some feelings, like you're guilty or mad, or you have a secret, and those emotions can be stressful. Or you don't feel like you've got emotional support around you. Or it's a financial strain and drain on you. Or maybe your stress is triggered by an illness or an injury. Or it's about parenting or about your grandkids or the choices others make that affect you. Or maybe you have trouble with the law or the IRS. Or maybe it's infertility or you've got a house full of young children. Or you're grieving a loss or you've been abused or you're being abused or... You're dealing with addiction, or you're a caregiver, or you've had a divorce, or two, or you have a, a friction in a relationship right now, or going through a breakup, or you're starting a new job, or you have exams coming, or you're over your head in some way at school, or church, or wherever, or you're drowning in debt, or you're facing retirement, or you have work strife, or you, you, you have kids that left your house, or you've got a big business move. Did I find it yet? Gave you a few things to think about. The bottom line is when we get a lot of them or some big ones and the timing of them hits, we can feel exhausted, overwhelmed, anxious, spent, weary. The word I hear a lot is busy. How you doing, busy? And we all know deep down that a busy life is not the same as a good life. And yet here we are on the wide road. So can I ask you a question? So like, how depleted are you, do you think? Like how, how full or empty is your bucket? Like what's the honest truth there about how, how you're living? You know, because the best thing that you can bring to the world is a fully energized, rested, filled up you. That's the best gift you can give to your family, to your employer, to your neighbor, to yourself, and to your God. And that's your job. It's not someone else's fault if you're not bringing it. Because when we are 
not depleted and filled up and refreshed. Man, we're creative. We pray our best prayers. We dream our best thoughts. We're responsive to the word of God. We're responsive to our family. Anger isn't so close to the surface. We're, we're, we're not so irritated all the time. We're not so edgy and touchy. We, we don't tend to withdraw. We don't go into that overeating, overbinging, Netflix, you know, uh, overspending, uh, ramping the RPMs up or, or, or losing ourselves in porn or whatever. How long has it been since you really felt that way, a fully energized, rested you? Jesus says, man, there, you don't have to live that way. There's a different way. And so this is why it's a mental health thing. It's like a cultural tide that we're being swept up in and has impact on who we are and our mental health, right? So reminder, every week we're saying there's at least four kind of causes to um, the mental health stuff, um, like where it comes from, the sources, if you will. So if you remember the, the, the reeds in our garden, where do they come from, where are the roots? Well, number one would be sometimes the mental health that we struggle with, including stress and burnout, would be like just situational, okay? Situational. Um, got this nice little pot coming in there. That's the situational pot. So like situational, for example, we live in a culture that's overloaded with everything, like those cars and trucks we saw. We have overload of information, overload of work, overload of relationships, overload of media, overload of food, overload of financial stress, overloaded emotions and all that. And those are some circumstances that can, be, can come into play there. The second source can be biological. There's something about how your particular self is hardwired that makes you prone to, to stress. Or there's a medical aspect as well, right? Like a clinical or, bio or or a thing that happens with going on in your body or brain chemistry at a certain time. Or spiritual. You know, there are, there, there are things that have to do with our relationship with God that have everything to do with this. And we always remind ourselves, we don't want to just knee-jerk and say, well, everything's spiritual. Okay? There are these other causes that have a, have a play here. But also, we want to remind ourselves that sometimes if we just kind of pretend everything's clinical and biological, we're going to really miss it. Because sometimes things are spiritual and no amount of therapy or drugs or self-talk is going to help. If you're not right with God, it's going to, not going to set you free. So, so let's press in a little bit. We're talking about stress and burnout. We use those words kind of interchangeably, but there's actually a technical term for each of them, like in a clinical sense. So let's unpack them just to maybe think about your own life and the life of people you know as we kind of go through maybe the differences between them. So we've got two columns here. Stress is kind of marked by over-engagement, like, ah, I'm crazy like I was at the beginning of the message. It's like, that's stress. But burnout is when you start seeing more disengagement, like I don't, I'm just pulling away. Stress is when you see overactive emotions, like, man, you're crying a lot or angry a lot or whatever. But, but when you get to burnout, it's more like blunted emotions, more like you're just kind of numb. Like, I don't really feel all that so much anymore. Stress is where there's usually a heightened sense of this urgency, like, I got to get this done, and so you fly into this hopeless uh, hyperactivity, whereas burnout is you've moved to a different phase where you just kind of feel sort of helpless and hopeless, like you're not, you're not really into all that right now. And sometimes with stress, then, after a while, you get tired and you feel a loss of energy, but the difference with burnout is you feel like not just the energy, but you don't, it's, the, it's the inner motivation, I don't really care. Loss, loss, of, uh, loss of motivation. And then sometimes with stress, you have anxiety that becomes part of that, right? We, we talked about anxiety a couple weeks ago. But uh, with burnout, it's more like depression. So those are different. We're going to talk about depression soon. And then uh, with stress, you get someone who's going to have physical 
impact to you, physical damage, a heart attack or something. But it's more of, a, with burnout, it's more of an emotional thing where it's relational damage. And then with, with stress, you can feel like, man, it's even life-threatening if it's not addressed. But with burnout, it's more like, ah, I don't even feel like life's worth living. So some of you may say, you know, I can see, I can see that I'm stressed or I'm on my way to burnout. Because burnout approaches, it's, it's, more, it's more pervasive than a lot of people think. It erodes energy. It erodes optimism. It steals kind of who you are when you're alive and full. It, it, it debilitates you. You're not effective. And it's more prevalent than we're comfortable talking about. And it takes a long time to recover. So the key is to see it coming. So how do we see it coming? Some of the stages of burnout look like this. Stage one is just emotionally exhausted. Not, not just physically tired. You're emotionally like done. Like you're numb. That's stage one. If you see that, that's... That's a, that's a warning sign. Stage two is where you start more often and for longer periods, you start to think poorly of yourself, like your own self-worth, like I'm so dumb or I'm no good. If I was better, I'd be getting all this done or whatever. Stage three, you start losing your emotional stability, like you're just more vulnerable, kind of a roller coaster up and down, you know, poke you, you cry or whatever. You don't bounce back, sad, that kind of thing. And then stage four is where you start just pulling away. You don't have the energy to give to relationships. So it's just like, I hope I can get through this conversation without anybody asking me anything. You just want to get through this and you have some self-pity. You just feel alone and you are start isolating. Stage five, you just, you become really, really ineffective at work. You're staring at the same computer screen. You just can't get it done. And number six, um, you, you identify uh, impairment, identity, impairment, confusion. You forget really who you are because you, 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 you want to measure it by stuff you're doing, but you can't do anything. So you feel a loss of self-worth. You forget your identity in Christ that you know hopefully probably was enlightening to some of you just like oh man there it is on there it is on the screen in front of me so I'm I'm no doctor I'm no therapist that's for sure we made that clear all the way through but you know we do know the word of God and we have it at our disposal I want to turn there for a little bit here today because there's some real help from a guy that experienced a lot of these things that we all are experiencing okay before the labels were here, um, he was experiencing it. His name is Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. You can go to your Bible if you want to follow along, get it on your app, or we'll put the words on the screen too. But it's in 1 Kings, like chapter 18, 19 in there. And Elijah was just a guy who had a comfortable life, but he gets pushed through the womb of stress when God says, I want you to be a prophet. How many of you have stress at work ever? Okay, your stress is not as bad as Elijah's. Let me tell you what. Being a prophet of God, especially in those days, was no fun task. Because your main thing was to tell everyone, look, you're being unfaithful. There's going to be consequences. You're the bearer of bad news. Nobody wants to see you coming. They all hate you. And that was his job. It's like, thanks a lot, God. That's my job. So he has a high-stress job. And the worst of it was that the king of Israel in those days was very wicked and unfaithful, leading God's people to, to worship a false god by the name of Baal. And God's like, I got to get a word to this guy. How about you, Elijah? You're my man. And so he has to deal with Ahab, the king, and his wicked, whacked-out wife named Jezebel. And don't name your kids Jezebel or Ahab or I'll come after you. All right. So he's got to go deliver this bad news. And he's just got a high-stress job. One assignment, for example, is he's got to go tell everyone, hey, God's really unhappy with your unfaithfulness. And so, <clears throat> well, there's going to be no rain for a long time. And that means there's going to be a drought. That means there's going to be a famine. It was designed to get their attention and pull them back to repentance and reconnect with God, but it created a huge amount of stress all over. Can you imagine living in a time and a place where 
there was like a big shutdown that lasted for a couple of years with shortages and economic intern, you know, implications. I can't imagine. So he, he had to leave the country during that time. And, and if you look at the stress charts, moving and moving to a different culture is high on there. One point he says he has to sit down by a little brook and he has no, he's got financial stress. He's got literally nothing. He's totally dependent on God. God says, don't worry, I'll take care of you. I will send some ravens and you'll be able to take those ravens and eat them and you'll have something to eat. Just wait for tomorrow when the ravens show up. And it's like, oh, how stressful is that? I mean, every one of you know how stressful it can be wondering if the ravens are going to show up. So, I mean, <laughs> imagine that. I mean, this guy, he's off the charts. What the... the one of, the, one of the times, God, God sends him, it's like, now I want you to go live with this widow. It's like, what? I'm going to go move in with this woman I don't even know. And she's a Gentile. That was stressful and all that. And then she's dirt poor. And every time you're on poverty, that's stressful. So he's like, nonstop, it's stressful. This woman says, I got nothing left. I got one little bit of oil, one little bit of flour. I'm going to make a cake. I'm going to eat it with and feed it, feed it to my only son. We're going to die. That's how bad it is. And he's like, man, that's depressing and stressful. And God says, hey, uh, I want you to, um, I want you to, go tell that woman I want you to take that biscuit out of the mouth of her son and her and want you to eat it instead. It's like, now that's stressful. I got to tell her that. Are you kidding me? And then so he does. And it's like, well, but then of course God replenishes the oil and it's like, oh, she has all the oil and bread she needs. And it's like, oh, that's great. But then her son dies. It's like up and down emotional roller coaster. We have friends that they said, the doctor said, you have cancer. Like, oh no, they got all amped up. And then it's like, oh, just kidding. You don't have cancer. And it's like, oh, what a relief. And the next time they like, oh, you do have cancer. And it's like, anytime you have an emotional roller coaster, it's super stressful. And this is what What's going on in his life? Anybody relate? Emotional roller coaster? He's carrying the biggest burden of all is that Ahab wants to kill him because he's a nuisance to him. He thinks he's a troublemaker. So you think you're carrying something, so is he. So the biggest challenge comes down where God says, here's what I want to do. I, I gotta, I gotta, we're going to end this once and for all. We're going to have a little showdown. And, and Elijah, I want you to go to King Ahab and explain it. So he does. Here comes Elijah, could have been killed walking in the door, but he says, King Ahab, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up on the mountain, Mount Carmel. We're going to have a big WWF smackdown, and we're going to decide this once and for all who the real God is. You bring all your prophets, all your 450 prophets of Baal up there, and we're both going to make altars. I'll make one to the one true God, Yahweh, and you make one to your God. And we're going we're gonna to both pray to our gods, and we're going to see who lights the altar on fire. And that will be the real God of this place from now on. Deal? And they're like, deal. So they go up on the mountain, and the 450 prophets build this big thing. And e Elijah just says, you go first. And so they start to pray, and they start praying to this Baal God. You know, God, bring fire down. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. They pray louder. They start dancing, prancing. Nothing happens. And, and Elijah starts taunting him. He's like, oh. Maybe he's got earplugs in. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's on vacation. Is this his day off? Maybe you should pray louder. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet. He says all this stuff to them, and they're just like, they go crazy. They're cutting themselves, trying to show their devotion to their gods, and guess what? They pray their guts out, and nothing happens. They finally collapse in a heap, and Elijah says, you done? May I? Step aside. He drops to his knees, and he prays one little prayer to the mighty name of God. Boom, fire comes. Oh, I forgot the best part. He takes the most precious possession in the land during that famine, a huge cauldron of water, and he douses the altar first. Douses the wood, the altar, the stone. He does it again and again, three times with these huge things of water. It's drenched, and then he prays, and then fire burns it all up. It's a big day. That's a win. He's on top of the world. It's like, I love my job. And then... He takes care of those 450 prophets. They're eliminated. And he's been under so much stress 
that he's just like got almost nothing left to celebrate, but he's just like, I'm feeling it. It's a really, really great day. Look what happened next. Psalm, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. When Ahab got home from that whole mess, he told Jezebel, his lovely wife, everything Elijah has done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you the same way you killed them. There's a lot of killing in that sentence. And now you can imagine how Elijah would have responded. I mean, he just knocked out 450 prophets of Baal. He's seen the hands of God. He's seen all these miracles. He's, been, he's like, he's, gonna, he's not going to be rattled by that, is he? I mean, come on. I went for everything he's been through, right? Well, here's what he does. Um, 1 Kings 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Isn't that how it is when you get stressed out? When you're burnt out, it's like one thing. You can have 74 things over here that are good, and you got one thing. It's like, that's, I can't take it. So he runs for his life, and he goes to Beersheba, which if you look on a map is nowhere a town of Judah, and he left his servant there. So the only buddy and only friend he had in the world, he said, I don't need you anymore. And he goes on what? Alone, into the wilderness, read desert. The only reason you go by yourself into the desert is to die. He travels all day. He's exhausted. He sits down under a solitary broom tree, prays that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take me, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So here he is, scared, alone, exhausted, and I quit. That's high-stress living. That's, that's burnout. And I get it, because it doesn't matter all the cool things you do and all the wonderful things you have. Your mind can't even get there because you're just fried. And if you remember the stages we talked about, he's got every one of them. He's emotionally exhausted. Self-assessment's bad. No emotional resiliency, isolation, all of it. So what do you do? All right, so what do you do when you're there, when you're on your way there, when you're at some stage toward that? And what can we learn from this simple passage here? Well, there's a few things. Let's just talk about a couple. There's so much we could talk about here, but from a biblical and Christian perspective, what could we say? Well, first thing that seems really important is when you're stressed out, when you're burned out, remember you're not alone. Like, remember you're not alone. Because so much of what we feel when we're stressed and burnt out is the isolation. And we tend to pull away from everything and everyone. And we even tend to isolate from God because there's some usually fatigue or guilt that we feel. Notice what he does. He pulls away from everyone. Verse 5, 1 Kings 19, verse 5. He lays down and he slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. God shows up. And I love how God comes to us. In the moment when we feel most alone and most tired and most stressed, he, he knows that we're a bruised reed. God's not like, well, get yourself pulled together and then we'll talk. He's like, ah, oh, I gotta come and help. You need to remember that because I think sometimes we tend to isolate ourselves even from God. God has a tender, soft spot for us when we're hurting. And our culture tells us it's your fault and to feel bad about ourselves, but you just need to know you're not alone. When you're stressed and burnt out, you feel alone. You've got a shepherd who comes. Instead of sitting in a desert, he wants to take you to quiet waters and green pastures. But in addition to God showing up, 
Remember that Elijah had cut himself off from other people. Oh, here's one thing I know. If I'm carrying a log, it's really hard, but if you grab the other end, we can carry that thing. And Elijah had forgot that. He's like, servant, you just go, you're my only friend left in the world, but I don't need you anymore either. And Connecting with other people who care about us is what the Lord intends for us to lighten our load. Galatians 6 says, hey, carry each other's burdens. We're going to lighten each other's loads. That's how it works. We've got to do that sometimes. But the worst thing you could ever do is cut yourself off, and yet that's what we all do. So right after this, God says, hey, Elijah, you need some help. Go get some help. And some of you need some help. And, and that help needs to come in the form of just like friends and support team. And he goes and gets a guy named Elisha to help carry that load. And some of us need to build our Elisha team as well. That's why God puts us in a family. That's why this church is more than just a big old gathering of people who look at the back of heads on a Sunday morning. But we're community. We're, we're family here. And if you're still kind of just in that place where you're observing as a spectator and feel isolated, then the best is yet to come for you. This, we just started uh, groups this last week. Hundreds of people at Mountain are gathered in a room, and, they're, they're, and, and Rooted is in the middle of like week four or five, and, and there's hundreds of people are experiencing this. And I'm telling you, I'm glad for what they're going to learn, but mostly I'm glad they've got someone helping to carry their log because that's how we're meant to live. Would you pray with me just for a second? God, some of us feel like we're all alone. We don't believe that you're there. We can't see or feel you. And we just pray that you'll help that one know that they are not alone. And that you'll help us, Lord, as we try to reach out and figure out what it would look like to get some support around us and Elisha or two in our lives. So walk with us through this stuff. And as Jesus promised, Lord, we ask now, would you give us your peace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you do when you're stressed out? Remembering you're not alone is, is, is important. Now I'm going to give you a second one. And this is going to really disappoint some of you. Because some of you want it to be super spiritual right now. You're like, oh, give me something really meaty. It's like, well, okay. I'm going to give you what's in the Bible. You know what you do when you're stressed out and burned out? You pay attention to the body that God gave you. That's what you do. It's one of the most important things. It's exactly what happens here. Elijah is not just emotionally wiped out, he's physically fried, okay? So is serotonin, his, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't use the word serotonin or adrenaline or cortisol, but we know what's going on with this guy, right? He's drained, there's no shortcut, you need rest, you need to take care of your body. So the first thing the man of God does is what? He goes to bed. Take a look at verse 5 and 6, 1 Kings chapter 19. So he gets there and he, the first thing he does, he lies down and he sleeps, and as he's sleeping, the angel touches him. Why does the angel touch him? He say, get up, you got to eat something. Here's a sandwich. That's, that's what God does. That's the most spiritual thing God could think to do is to give him a sandwich. You need to eat something. He looked around, and there, lo and behold, there's some bread and water and all that stuff. He ate and drank, and then what did he do? He went back to bed, and then you read on. Look at verse 7. He goes on, and he does some other stuff. Angel says, okay, it's time to get up again. Why? you got to eat some more. You're not ready to go back to work yet. Go back to bed. Sends him right back to bed. Sometimes when we're depleted, what do we need to do? Rest. Eat. The most spiritual thing some of you could ever do is take a nap. Yeah. You're no good without it. It's like trying to talk to an alcoholic. Okay? If you're drinking, it's like we're going to talk later when you're sober. But right now, it's not, you know, so it's like, hey, what do I do with my life? It's like, well, I, let's not even talk about it until you get some rest and get your life back. Get replenished. Get replenished. 
and then we can talk about it. Maybe some of us, the most spiritual thing we could do is get about eight hours of sleep sometime. When I was young, I was in college, I was preaching some of my first sermons at this little country church. I get there and there's this guy sleeping before I ever get up to preach, like snoring out loud, his wife's elbowing him. He's like, oh, yeah, he's just snoring away. Aside from the personal insult of a young preacher, I worked through it. Afterwards, the guy who invited me says, oh, how'd it go? Is everything okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I did notice that the guy's sleeping through the whole sermon, you know, is that normal? Or? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he says, that's Jeremiah. He does that every week. And uh, you know what? It's a good thing. He, uh, he's a hardworking man. And uh, he worked all night. But uh, it's the best thing for him. He's a better husband and a better leader and a better guy because of it. And he wants to be here with his family. And I'm like, okay. I've never looked at sleep in the same way. It's like you back there. It's okay. Don't wake her up. <laughs> Don't wake her up. Because I know that sometimes it's the most spiritual thing you can do. You do it whenever you need to. Do it here if you have to. But sleep, my friends, is a God-given gift. It's like, you know, all the new studies are like saying sleep's a miracle drug. Like the way it restores and heals and prevents uh, all kinds of stuff. And at a biological level, there's a reset that's happening that we all need. So the best thing you can bring to the world is a fully rested, energized you. Right. And when you don't, whose fault is it? Your bosses. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's not your boss's fault. No, but you don't understand my mother. You don't understand my wife. It's like, yeah, I probably don't. But I do understand this, that God said, you know what? We should probably work. Let's work six days. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to rest on the seventh. And then we go, yeah, nice for you, God, but I don't need to rest on the seventh. What makes us think we can rest less than God? Did he rest because he was tired? No. But if you don't rest, you will be, and you'll be more than tired. So how do you feel, how, how could you maybe pay attention to the body that God gave you and the way that you eat? Maybe less, maybe you need to eat less, maybe you need to eat not so late, maybe you need to eat something healthy and you can go read a thousand books on how to figure all that out. I'm just trying to remind you, this is spiritual stuff, not just physical stuff. When you're running and going and blowing and pushing and striving and hurrying, you got these two things I've mentioned. Let me just give you one more from this story. When you're stressed and when you are smelling the edges of burnt burnout, one of the best things you can do is get into a rhythm where you learn on a regular basis to be still and to listen for the Lord. Because that's a reset. It just be still. Stop. Stop. Okay, I'll stop. I look, I stopped. Stop. Stop and be still. Slow down. Be quiet. Stop being a human doing. And be a human being. Simplify. Declutter. So we're not so tyrannized by the urgent of what's pressing and can say bigger yeses to the things that are ultimately important rather than just being tyrannized by the, the yeses of Whatever seems urgent before us. That's how you hear the voice of the Lord when he clarifies that you need to spend time and your best energy and your one life on the things that matter most, the things of the Lord. 
I see people that come to mountains sometimes, and I see a beautiful change that happens in their life. They're walking with the Lord. Their marriage is good, and their priorities are straight. And everything, for whatever reason, they're just connected in all the right places. It's like, yes. And then they say, oh, we're going to take this job. It's more money, and it's a better climate. We're moving away. And they go away, but they forget to, to find a church that will help them kind of keep moving in that direction. I see it all the time. And then about nine months later, 12 months later, I, I talk to them, and it's like, how you doing? Oh, you know, the kids are kind of doing their own thing. Our marriage is drifting a little bit. The more I listen, it's like they're pursuing all this great stuff and climbing the ladder of success, but it's, it's leaning against the wrong wall. So be still. When you be still, you create margin in your life. You got a little space to get your bucket fillers happening. Instead of feeling guilty, like I feel guilty if I ever relax or I put, if I go play. Friend, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. For me, playing is as important as praying for my spiritual life. I mean that. What's your bucket filler? You, you, you need to make the time, the margin in your life to read and to walk and to, to rest or to think or to play or create or laugh. Because that's how God made us. That's called the Sabbath principle. In the Bible, Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha, and, and, uh, and Martha's like, oh, we got to get going, we got to get going. And she's running around trying to hurry up and get her dinner ready and everything, and Mary's just sitting there at Jesus' feet listening. She's being still, she's being quiet, and she's listening. And, and Jesus says, she chose the better part. Martha, Martha is running around, she's all mad. She's like, Jesus, why don't you tell her to help me? Don't you care? She really thinks that Jesus is going to say, yes, everyone, let's all get more done. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says, no, she's chosen the better part. Are you choosing the better part? where you can be still and be quiet once in a while and listen. There, Jesus is all about doing. I mean, right before that, he told the story of the Good Samaritan, like, go get it done. But then he says there's times just to be still and listen. Martha, 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 shh, calm down, be still. We've all got a choice. He says Mary chose the better part. You say, I don't got a choice. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So Elijah, he's blowing and going, and God wants to help him ruthlessly eliminate all the hurry from his life, like he does you. He's like, I need to hear from the Lord. God says, I'm going to talk to you. He's like, so Elijah's like, he's still, he's still wound tight. He goes up on the mountain. He's like, I'm ready, God. What do you got for me? And, and there's this huge windstorm, and God, Elijah's like, great. God's going to, I'm going to, God, you want me to be a, like a windstorm for people? Ah, but God's voice was not in the windstorm. And then there's an earthquake, and Elijah's like, great, we're going to shake things up, God, let's go, I'm ready, I'm, I'm wound up again, and God was not in the earthquake. And there was this fire, and he's like, oh, good, more fire like the other time, I love this, let's go, who are we going to burn up, God? But God was not in the fire. And then it says these words, 1 Kings 19, 12. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, and that's where God showed up. And you know, you can't hear the voice of God who's whispering if you're blowing and going and loud all the time. So we started this whole crazy message with a little parable of our lives, right? A little modeling of what it feels like sometimes. We're just going and ah. So let's end it the opposite way, like the way that Jesus says. If he, he says there's a narrower road and fewer are on it, but it's the way we are. We're the people of God. We know about this road. And sometimes that road is just like... A lot, we have a little wayside rest where we just stop and we be still. We listen to the voice of God. It's the voice of truth. It's the voice of peace. It's the voice of calm. 
that no drug, no counselor will ever lead you to. But God can. So let's do that. You just kind of take a deep breath. We're not, anybody in a hurry? Can you take a minute? I know you got to go get those fresh bananas, but can you just wait for a second? Let's be still and hear the voice of the one who says, you don't have to live like this. So let's be still. Maybe we can hear from Jesus himself. Matthew, 20, Matthew 11 is one of the places where he's talking right to us, man. He said, here's what he says in Matthew 11. Anybody tired? Worn out? Anybody? Feeling a little worn out sometimes? Jesus is like, oh, I thought so. Burned out on religion, where you take all that frenetic energy and you, you, you know, where you're trying to prove and validate yourself and you just kind of mask it in religious stuff so it seems okay. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. He says, I, I thought so. Here, 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 here. Jesus just says to us, he says, come to me. Get away with me and you can recover your life. Because I want to show you a different way to live, how to, how to take a real rest, not like a vacation where we just kind of run new places for a week, but like a rest of the soul. I can show you that. Walk with me, Jesus says, and, and, and work with me here. It's gonna, not going to happen overnight. You've got to learn some new rhythms. Watch how I do it. Learn these unforced, like I'm not striving, but they're unforced rhythms of work and rest and they're just overlaid with grace. I'm not going to lay heavy or ill-fitting things on you. Just hang around with me and you will learn to live, say it with me, freely and lightly. God, we pray that uh, we'll get better at paying attention to our bodies and remembering we're not alone and most of all to just sometimes be still and listen. We know that doesn't solve everything overnight automatically. It won't remove all the stressful situations in our lives, but man, it'll sure help us handle it differently and we'll at least have the voice of truth in our minds. So I pray for the person here who's like, oh man, I needed this today. And it'll be more than a temporary fix, but a a shove and a nudge down the narrow road that leads to life. Because we want to look different than the crazy world around us, God. We really do. We pray all this in Jesus' name.